everybody. What is going on? Welcome once again to the Every Single Day Missionary Podcast. And this is episode 224, which for me has personal meaning because my birthday is 224. And so it has taken years in the making to get to a podcast that actually represents my birthday. And so for my non-birthday birthday numerically connected theme, I'm going to deal with nothing related to my birthday. This isn't even one that's like, ooh, a birthday present to myself. It's not that at all. Because there's a better birthday coming up really soon, and yes, it is the celebration of the birth of Jesus. This podcast is all about making much of him, and so it's very exciting that we get to celebrate his non-birthday birthday, because everybody knows he wasn't born on December 24th, he wasn't born in December, he wasn't born in the winter. You don't find sheep and shepherds out in their fields watching over their flocks by night in the winter. doesn't work that way, but we put on the calendar this is a good date, and so we're going to run with it. So just as a friendly public service reminder, yes, Christmas is coming up in less than two weeks, which means this is the week before the week before Christmas. And if you have things to tie up, gifts to buy, things to do, issues to settle, man, you, you've got a limited runway at this point, so you want to get on it. So that's just my little gift to you saying, hey, Christmas is coming, we get to celebrate Jesus, and you probably still have some gifts you got to get, or at least some stocking stuffers. My wife and I are doing something really different this year. We've never done it before. We're not buying any gifts for one another. We're just doing stockings. Now, to keep that in perspective, our stockings are probably three feet long, maybe two and a half. So they're a bigger stocking, but now you're limited. It's kind of like, it's like trying to go on a road trip and it's like, okay, you just have to pack a bag that fits in the trunk and you have to leave space for other people to ride in the car and now you got to make decisions. So the challenge there is that you want to cheat, right? So it's like, okay, we're only going to get things that fit in a stocking. And then I'm like, well, what if I got you a thing? And then I took a picture of that thing. And then I put the picture in the stocking. Does that work? Yes, I admit it's kind of a cheat. Found out this week that no, it doesn't work that way. So I just had to give her the not in the stocking gift as just a, hey, I like you. You're great. Thanks for loving me after 31 years of marriage. So she got herself a freebie on that one. So still growing and learning in this whole only fits in the stocking game. I don't know what your game is this year. That's our game. Kind of fun that way. So anyway, we're not here to talk about that. Now, next week, I will actually talk about the story of Christmas and I've kind of themed that one out a little bit or hinted at that, that I'm going to deal with just a a little celebration that Mary has and how powerful and profound and backwards it all is. Uh, So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, But I figured as this is kind of the, you know, kind of getting close to the end of the year and everything else, like, what would I talk about today? There's all kinds of things that I have written out that these are things that I'd be interested in. But every once in a while, I always like to roll back and give a sense of like, you know, what all of this is designed to do. And maybe some of you are going to be like, Matt, you you say that enough that we don't need to revisit that. Maybe not, you know, I don't know. But, uh, you know, it was something I, it was rattling around in my brain a little bit and, and wanting to continue to give a sense of, of why every single week we decide to do this podcast. Cause there's been ter- certainly times where I'm like, man, I'm, I'm kind of worn out a little bit at times with it. Uh, and I, I sometimes have this sense of like, man, I don't want, my fellow followers of Jesus to be like, dude, you know, you're constantly pointing out where we're falling short and after a while it doesn't feel like grace or it doesn't feel like love or it doesn't feel like encouragement or whatever else. And so, you know, I, I, I get those hesitations, you know, that's why, again, there's such kind of a difference in tone between what I do for Sunday mornings and what I do basically on Wednesdays when I record the podcast. They're two different types of ministry arms in some ways. And, and so, you know, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to always weigh out like what's the strategic purpose and value of each of these. And 
for the podcast, it, it really, as I've shared a lot, it's a uh, more on this arm of kind of in the spirit of the Old Testament prophets that were like, hey, people of God, uh, we can get easily lulled into things or we can get easily sidetracked or we can even be taught things that we thought were really right. And then we come to realize later that maybe that's not exactly the right thing. So we get tainted by ideas or by agendas or by perspectives or by threats. You know, I think even in, in the United States for the church in the evangelical world for a long time, we've been taught from the aspect of there's this liberal threat or there's this humanist threat or this there's this postmodern relativist threat and then we teach to the threat you know and probably in teaching to the threat because you're so focused on the target of the threat we sometimes lose or forget like what Jesus said to do in light of threats, right? Like he's like, hey, people are going to be against you. Here's how you respond to them. We forget that and we go, we got to stop these people that are against us or we need to retaliate or we need to take action against these people that don't see the world as we do or are threatening our way of life or our Christian values or our heritage or whatever. And and we kind of get more kind of pulled in to then the way that things get done in the normal world as opposed to the way that Jesus says, hey, I want you to do it really backwards from the world, right? So that's kind of why we deal with things the way we do. And I was, uh, I had a really great email from a dude that I just totally dig. Like, this guy's the coolest, right? And, uh, you know, just at a lot of levels, you know, I'm not going to dime him out by name or whatever else, but he's a stud, so he's listening maybe, and he'd be like, oh, I think he's talking about me. So sent me an email this week, and he goes, hey, I listened to the podcast for the first time, and really appreciated, you know, what the theme was of that particular podcast and what you were trying to address. And that podcast was actually similar to this one, which was kind of like, hey, let me clarify some stuff about the podcast. And he goes, to be real honest, he goes, I kind of hesitated to to listen to the podcast because the the topics that were listed in the podcast kind of were agitating topics. I don't think he used the word agitating, but that's basically what it was. It was like, you know, the topics were like, come on, man. It's like, you know culture is against Christianity and then you're picking on Christianity as opposed to being an ally with Christianity. And, and so I think if there was like, a, I don't know. And then he kind of put his toe in the water, checked it out and went, Oh, now I get it. This makes a lot more sense and everything else. And, and so it was kind of like in the spirit of that, that I was like, well, I should maybe roll at this from a slightly different angle, uh, to help better articulate, you know, why I choose the themes and even titles that we choose and that that's not really related to just like some attempt at clickbait. Because I think that's part of my concern when I pick the topics. People are going to be like, oh, he's just trying to clickbait people. And then with that, it has some bite to it or an edge to it or a kind of a, a criticism embedded into the title. And, and you know, there it is again. And this is just kind of the brand now is picking on his own and and that's that sells or something like that. And and that's really not at all what drives any of that. And, and the podcast is evolved in, in, in different ways over the years. And so there was times early in the podcast where it was just way more like, hey, here's an encouragement for the week. Go do that. Um, and and then kind of at the beginning of this year, I said, hey, I'm going to do this more from the perspective of uh, kind of real life. Uh, I mean, all of this has been real life stuff, but like what's going on kind of in culture and how does Christ inform those issues, right? That was a lot of it. And I think as that's gone on, uh, it clarifies certain things, at least for me and my my assessments and my thinking and how this all kind of sews together. And part of that is I realized, and, and again, part of it probably flows from also being 
in pastoral ministry for a long time and uh, certainly being in, in context or having connections with others and, and, and being able to hear what's kind of going on, you know, just in general, maybe within our more um, Protestant, evangelical, conservative ranks, you know, as far as church and Christianity and that kind of thing. Um, I started realizing part of what the divide is about, right? And the divide, I'm going to call it this idea of biblical sentimentalism or biblical sentimentality and and then how that merges in the real world and the problems with that, right? Because as I thought about it more, like every every evangelical Protestant that I probably would ever know would have a high view of the Bible, a high view of studying the Bible, of doing daily devotionals, of going to church and taking notes uh, as far as what's being taught from the Bible. And so there's this very Bible-centric vision uh, within evangelicalism, you know, just by and large in, in the United States. But what I was wrestling with is for all of the the biblical centrality that I see within our shared community, why is it that I then see a disconnect? And why does the disbelieving world see a disconnect between what seems to be the message of the Bible, particularly the message of Jesus, which is the center of the Bible? Why does there seem to be some level of disconnect between what seems to be a clearly articulated value system from Jesus and then what the world sees within evangelicalism? And I know part of that is related to the fact that I believe evangelicalism has wedded itself far too much to conservative politics, so much so that there's a loyalty to the political structure at the cost of maybe Christ-centered loyalties. I'm not saying you don't love Jesus. I'm just saying Christ-centered loyalties don't look much like the right or the left. They they just would not find homes there. But the fact that there's a lot there's a lot of seeming sense of home within the political conservative right for Christianity makes it that kind of odd. Like, well, wait a minute, how is that? Like, because Jesus said this and this and this, and that doesn't quite fit or whatever else. And so what I realized, like kind of trying to, again, pull this all together for a second, is you have a movement that has a very uh, committed sense to scripture. It's a statement of conviction regarding scripture. But then both, I think, for ministry leaders a lot of times and for disbelieving people, they go, why is there a seeming disconnect or why does it seem to be that moralism and, and a politicized Christianity is more dominant than this upside down backwards kingdom values of Jesus stuff, right? So, you know, why is it that we're not most known for loving our enemies, but we're more known for, you know, kind of standing against our cultural foes or, you know, calling them out or even at times calling them names or, you know, just having this real um, aggressive posture against a, a large segment of our world uh, if Jesus is like, well, no, I sent you to reach those people. I sent you to love those people. I sent you to serve those people. Like he makes that so utterly clear uh, when they're against you. You know, you you take your persecution with joy and you turn the other cheek and go the extra mile. Like all those kinds of things. Why is it that that seems to not be our first go-to response, but it's more kind of the culture war response and it's to stand against the 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 ungodly liberals and stand against those who reject faith and religion and stand against the humanness of our society and all of that. Like, you know, why? Why is it that our posture isn't the idea of saying those aren't the bad guys, you know, their, their flesh and blood are not the bad guys. Those are the ones we're supposed to go after and love and serve. Like, why is there this disconnect if we're so Bible centric, right? Now I feel like I'm just repeating myself. So let me jump back into the topic then. And, and 
I think what it comes down to, again, is then this phrase of we have a sentimental relationship at times to the Bible. And what I mean by that, and I was thinking this one through pretty heavily, where we go, um, we hear a message on the Sermon on the Mount, for example, and we go, man, that's so good, that's so rich, that's so deep. Maybe you have a real premier Bible teacher that you listen to on podcasts or online, or maybe you even go to that church or whatever else, and and you, you, they're, they're walking through the Sermon on the Mount, and it's like, oh, man, they brought out the Greek, and they brought out the culture, and uh, we saw the, 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 the deeper workings of how first century Jews would hear this message and why Jesus was saying something that was out of sync with with our vision of the kingdom based on second temple Judaism and, you know, that's all the stuff. And then we're reminded like, this is the word of God and this is truth. And when the world is telling us lies, we got to believe this truth. And we come out of that and we're like, yes, that's so deep, so good. Just that's rich teaching, man. Expositional teaching just honors the scriptures. And and there would be this tone that I, I certainly have seen and heard over the course of my own life. And I see elsewhere and it's like, yes, so good, so theological, so honoring scripture as inerrant and inspired and all of that. And then on Monday, it doesn't get applied out of the real world, you know, but there's almost this kind of other vision that then we as evangelicals would operate off of. And we would put more faith in the right politicians and the right fiscal policies and the right moral requirements of society. And we've got to make sure we stop this immoral activity and that immoral activity. And we need to use a lot of different tools, whether we use fiscal like pressure to change that or we use some kind of legislative power to change that or we just need to get the right people on the Supreme Court to overturn the things that are the woes of our culture. And and it's like we just kind of fall back into we use the earthly systems to get earthly things done in the name of Jesus as opposed to actually believing that what Jesus said is the way you actually change the world. And so what I began to realize is that it's very easy to have this idea of like we revere the content of the Bible. We esteem the content. We love, again, the good deep books by John Piper or John MacArthur or R.C. Sproul or, you know, Tim Keller. You pick your things. And and again, I'm not trying to disparage those names. That's not really my focus right here, right at this moment, maybe in a minute. Some of that may become a focus. I don't know. We'll see. Um, But point being that there, there was always this sense of like elevating that. But you would think for those who are elevating the scriptures the most, the outcome of that would be, wow, those people look just like Jesus. They look just like the kingdom values. That there would be this clear sense of, oh, we know those Christians follow Jesus because what we see of Jesus in the gospels matches what we see of these Christians in regular life on Tuesday at lunch or on Thursday in a meeting or the way we communicate on social media or the priorities that we hold in life and the things that we would care about and the kinds of people that we would care about and the kind of words that we use when we discuss people that we disagree with would be words of maybe a greater sense of empathy or compassion or even if we're being critical, our our heart would be, I'm not trying to wound the person in, in bringing up these critical concerns, but rather I'm trying to help this person. I'm trying to come in as though they have a splinter in their eye. I'm not trying to bludgeon them with the log in my own eye. Like that would be more of the disposition. And so as I process this out more, I realize that what the danger is or what the risk is, is that we like to learn about the Bible, do Bible studies and biblical messages and expositions and theological content and devotions that are kind of pointing to the Bible. Like the risk is we like to learn all of that in an isolation 
And then we don't know how to apply that to the real world. So we almost treat it as though like there's this biblical sentimentality that's designed for my intellectual curiosity and my spiritual warmth and and kind of rewardedness. But then the rest of life is conducted like business is normal, um, you know, based on uh, – the way things just are, right? You know, and you you just got to do it those ways and in that format. So, um, and that breaks my heart because when I look at the message of Jesus in particular, I'm really certain that that is the only thing that changes the world. And and the message of Jesus at its core, the morals and values of Jesus that are most important to Jesus are not simply the don't chew, don't drink, don't smoke, don't date girls who do that same thing. Don't, you know, like make sure you just have good marriages and you're responsible with your money and, you know, you, you care about sexual morality and, 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 you know, like not that those things are unimportant things, but when I look at the most radical values of Jesus, the most radical morals of Jesus, uh, those things are really, really hard. That's where I, again, look at the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain as just quick reference guides to that. There's a lot more things that Jesus said and did, right? That are references to that. Um, but I look at that and I go, that's the real moral value system that Christians should most care about. That when the world sees us, they go, man, you know, we really see Jesus pretty clearly in the way you interact within your life and the, the, the real life context of that. And, and that's where I was seeing like this disconnect to where I'm like, man, we have this high view of the Bible, but we don't have a high view of exercising these values of Jesus inside American life in the everyday spaces. And if this is the everyday missionary, then I need to pick the areas or look at the areas where it seems that there's the disconnect so that we're not just lulled into thinking we're really solid if we're sentimental about the Bible. Because that was the thing I started to get more concerned about is life has gone on that we go, as long as I have a high view of it, I like to take a lot of notes about it. And I want to make sure that I only listen to teachers that seem to have a high view of it, um, that I'm good. The thing I started looking at more is these teachers that are usually esteemed for a high view of the Bible. I started going and asking myself, how much did they look like Jesus though? Not how excellent are they at communicating truth? How excellent are they at making sure they have a cohesive theology? But just how much do they sound like Jesus? How much do they look like Jesus? How much would I look at them as the model of true Christ-likeness, not just good theology or concrete morality, but Christ-likeness? Like that became the be-all, end-all that I started to think about more, right? And from that, then I began to go, well, where are the places that I see that Jesus doesn't seem to inhabit this topic? Like how much of a Jesus likeness am I seeing in our politics? How much of a Jesus likeness am I seeing in our dialogues about sexuality and culture? How much of a Jesus likeness am I seeing uh, regarding the problems of the economy? Or how much of a Jesus likeness am I seeing regarding topics like refugees and people at the border and things like that? How much of Jesus likeness am I seeing in discussions about cancel culture? How much Jesus likeness am I seeing about how we interact on social media? Like, And the list goes on and on and on, right? How much Jesus likeness am I hearing about discussions regarding COVID or lockdowns or the list is huge, right? And that was the thing where I went, wow, there's a lot of biblical sentimentality, but the people that are talking in a lot of these echo chambers don't sound like Jesus. They sound like a, like Americans. They sound uh, like conservatives or they sound like liberals or they sound uh, angry or they sound fearful. But I just more and more was 
going like, I, I just, why am I not hearing and seeing Jesus from the people that revere the book the most? In, in fact, one of the really deep, dark nights of the soul kind of thing I was starting to realize at times is that there were people in my life that were disbelieving people, even had animosity toward Christianity that were actually quoting the Bible during like the last couple of years, especially during the pandemic. And these were people that were losing their jobs because they were in the you know, entertainment industry or in the restaurant industry or whatever. And they're like, we can do this together. We just got to trust and have hope and we got to love our neighbor and everything else. I'm like, this is bizarre to me. Like there's people that are actually suffering under this stuff. And they're talking about how we need to do things that Jesus talked about. And then there are people that actually believe the Bible, revere the Bible, aren't actually financially suffering during this time. And they're talking as though this is a great suffering crisis and and we need to take arms up or we need to stand against the government and sue or just, you know, things where I'm just like, this is super bizarre to me, right? Because um, those of us who believe the book, the evidence that we believe the book is we do the book. The evidence that we believe the book is not simply we revere the book or sentimentalize studying the book or talk about how important the book is or how sad it is that culture has lost the book. No, it's that we do it. And in particular, what I love about the way the book is structured is it all points to Jesus. So what we don't want to do is even fall into the trap that says, hey, I'm revering the ethics of the book. Because the ethics of the book, many of the ethics of the Bible are designed to point out that we're flawed and we need to cleave to Jesus. And if we cleave to Jesus, then we're following Jesus. And if we follow Jesus, we actually live life, act and react like Jesus calls us to do, even though it's very hard to do that. But it's this idea of we deny ourselves, we take up a cross daily and we follow him. That's why Paul even said, I crucify myself daily. I die daily. It's this daily process of saying, it's not about what I desire. It's not about securing my way of life or securing my future. It's all about how do I bring Jesus to bear on my environment in a way that they can see Jesus authentically and truly, even if I have to give up something to gain the reputation of looking like Jesus in the world. That's why Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It comes up more than once in the New Testament because that's really what our mission is. And so that's, for me, why then I choose the topics that I do and why some of those topics or titles even seem a little bit barbed and we go, here he goes again. He's just getting into our macra or whatever it is and saying something that irritates me because he's not being loyal to his own. And maybe that's the thing. And that's a podcast for the future I think I'm going to do is just the idea that when we decided or when we felt compelled or when we were drawn or whatever vernacular you want to use, when it was like, Jesus is going to be my North Star. Jesus is now the in on my compass. I'm following him. As soon as we did that, all the other loyalties died right? That's the way it was supposed to be, which means I'm not loyal to my my Republican conservative background. I'm not loyal to a liberal democratic background. I'm not loyal to my Christian background, right? I'm not loyal to my Protestantism. I'm not loyal to my evangelicalism, what I mean by that is I don't want it to be like, you know what, because this is my team, I turn a blind eye to my team, but I'll have a more critical eye against the other team. Because then it's like, I'm just being loyal to my team because it's my team. Instead, what it needs to be is I'm loyal to Jesus. And if I'm loyal to Jesus, then I look at my team and I want to be loyal to my team 
through the lens of my loyalty to Jesus. I don't want to be loyal to my team at the cost of my loyalty to Jesus. And in the same way, the team that is maybe against my team, if I'm going to be loyal to Jesus, it doesn't mean that I'm trying to figure out how to best that other team. My loyalty to Jesus is saying, I'm trying to figure out how I love that other team because I'm loyal to Jesus, even if that other team is against me or my team. So if loyalty to Jesus becomes the center. And what I mean by loyalty to Jesus is not this esoteric kind of, uh, well, because we're people of faith. What I'm talking about is loyalty to his message, loyalty to his expectations on our life, loyalty to living out this radical idea of loving the least of these and loving your enemies and making broken relationships right and praying and giving and fasting and all the stuff that he tells us to do and how all of that is meant to impact the world, taking sincerely, uh, and, and deep ownership, sincere deep ownership of the idea that to do the great commandment, to love God and love your neighbor, you have to love your neighbor to love your God. And if you don't love your neighbor, you're not really loving your God. John unpacks all of that for us in First John. Like taking all of that seriously and saying, I'm so loyal to that, that that drives in all of my other interactions with all of my other groups. Therefore, I'm not overly loyal to mine just because they're mine and I'm not less loyal to them because they're not mine, but rather I'm loyal to Jesus and therefore I'm trying to be like Jesus to all the different categories and groups that are kind of swirling about my life. And so from all of that, then I pick topics that are trying to drive us back to, yes, my loyalty and fidelity is first and foremost to Jesus. And from that, I can be loyal to all sorts of different groups, But it's not really that I'm being loyal to those groups. It's that I'm being loyal to Jesus and I'm being like Jesus to all of those groups. Within my own tribe and camp, that loyalty sometimes means, hey, you guys, I think we're esteeming the Bible, but we're not doing the Bible. And in particular, here's a way that we did that on Tuesday. Here's a way we did that on Thursday. Here's a way we did that on Saturday. Here's a way we do that in our politics. Here's a way we do that in our our hypocrisy. Here's a way we do that in our churches. Here's a way we do that in the policies that we sometimes get behind that are are more rooted in our politics than they are rooted in kingdom values. And, And so that's why I pick the themes and topics that I do. So my heart here and all of it is not simply to rain on your Thursday. It's not. And it's not to be like, oh, Matt's just mad at Christians and beating up on them. That's not it either. But if anything, it's kind of like trying to grab us all lovingly by the collar and just give us a little bit of a rattle. This is, hey, you guys, listen, if we really believe this book, we believe this book. And if we really believe this book, we do this book. And if we don't do this book, newsflash, we don't believe this book. We sentimentalize it. We theologicalize it. We like to revere it. We like to treat it as an icon. But what this is, is like a combat manual for life that we tuck in our back pocket. And here's the combat manual in the world of Jesus. It's not combat. It's being uh, guides. It's being um, like ambassadors. It's being diplomats, right? That's the hardest part, I think, of the message of Jesus. When Jesus says, stand up and fight, what he means is bow down and serve because it's upside down and backwards. And so this is why I think it's important to not just sentimentalize the Bible, but actually internalize the Bible. And from that, internalize it from the perspective of how does it teach me to be like Jesus, to rely on Jesus, to get my strength from Jesus and do the hard stuff in the name of Jesus. Not stuff that serves me or protects my tribe, but stuff that serves him and elevates his kingdom. That is the thing that we're supposed to own. That is the the calling of the everyday missionary. Our mission right? Our combat manual is to be like him.
to touch the world as he touched the world, right? To do that hard stuff and put others before us because that's exactly the center of the gospel. God saw the value of all peoples on the planet and sent his son. I think we sometimes buy into this message like God didn't see any value in us except the value of going to hell and by God's grace, a couple of us get saved. Like, And, and I'm like, are you reading John 3, 16 and 17? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17 says, and he sent his son not to condemn the world but rather that the world would be saved. There is tremendous value that God sees in every person. And he wants us to own that too. He wants us to look at AOC and be like, she has tremendous value. He wants us to look at Nancy Pelosi and be like, she has tremendous value. He wants us to look at Donald Trump and say, he has tremendous value. He wants us to look at all these different people and say, they have tremendous value, so much so that he sent his son. Man, we are resistant to that. We are resistant to that. But see, Jesus says again, this is the final exam, Matthew 25. Right? When you do it to the least of these, you did it to me. The reason that every single person has value is because Jesus resides in every single person. His image is inside every single person. The person that hates him, doesn't believe in him, his image is still in them. And when we don't handle the world around us like Jesus, what we're saying is, Jesus, we're not going to handle you well either. Right? So we claim the book. But if we don't live like Jesus toward the world that has the image of Jesus... That's how we're treating Jesus. That's his point in Matthew 25. That's why he calls us to do these things. That's why I say some barbed things here because I'm trying to get us to close the loop on this and not just be like, the Bible's the truth of God, the word of God, and the world rejects it. When we don't do it, we reject it because we're the only ones that believe it. Like they don't even believe it. I don't have a problem with the world that rejects the Bible. They don't believe the Bible. My bigger concern is with us who say we believe it, but we don't do it. Or we do the parts that are easy and they elevate our ego and they make us feel better than other people because we're moral or we're ethical or we keep our marriages or we don't sleep around. Or, you know, again, by the way, not all of those things are very hard to do. Some of those ethical things are very easy to do. But the tough stuff is being like Jesus to the world around us and seeing Jesus in everybody who is around us right? That's where the real grits hit the skillet. That's the real test of the missionary. That's the real stuff of the kingdom. And yet here's what I am certain of. I think if we kind of take ownership of this more and we go, wait, this is the way forward. And man, these, these ideas that are shared in the podcast here and in other places that remind us of the kingdom values, those things are hard to do, but when done have great value. Oftentimes what you see is revival is attached to those things. Revival is not attached to moralism. Revival is attached to kingdom love. That's the difference. Sacrificial kingdom love, upside down and backwards stuff. That's where revival happens. And so if we actually want true spirit-led revival, then that's what we have to be. That's the roadmap to it. Now, if we just want ethical American Christianity from back in the 1950s. Jesus is not the way forward for that. He's just not the way forward for that because that wasn't a Jesus-based one then. That was just, we all agreed that these certain morals are good, right? It was, it was at best more Judaism than it was Christianity. It was more Old Testament than it was New Testament, right? New Testament is Jesus-centric, kingdom-centric. When we own that, Right, My continual Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain, definition of love, and uh, the fruit of the Spirit. When those four components 
are fought for in our lives, then we will be like Jesus. And we'll stop telling people again, hey, don't look at Christians, look at Christ. No, the only way they're going to be able to see Christ is they look at Christians. This is why we want to say, hey, I want to be more like Jesus. I don't want to just sentimentalize the Bible and talk about great verses and how rich and deep they are. Blah, man. Blah. I'm so like, honestly, there's my little barb of the day. It, I'm just, I'm so done with like sentimentality around the Bible or sentimentalizing the Bible. I'm just like done with that. Like I want us to have a sentimental relationship to it, but I don't want it to stop there. I don't want to be talking about deep theology and not doing it, right? Like that's the thing. It's like, because Jesus didn't call us to that, right? He says, hey, if you follow me, you look like me. If you if you claim the name of Jesus, you're going to do things just as Jesus did. You see that in 1 John chapter 2. And yet when we're doing that, man, that, that changes lives. That shows proof. That's real power. That's the stuff that transforms the kingdom and brings flourishing to the environment around us. And I think the more we own that, do that, love that, pray for that, work toward that, make that our center focus, we try to slay the temptations in us to make life about us and about our comforts and our American dream. And instead we say, Jesus is about you and your dream for the world. And now you want to use me to that purpose and you want me to be more like you, then we will be pretty awesome everyday missionaries.